You step up to the line of scrimmage. You get under the center. You survey the defense and you yell out loudly. 225, 225, hut, hut, hut. On the second hut, the ball is snapped into your hands. The offensive line begins to pass block and the receivers run their routes. You drop back three to five steps. You survey the field. You eye your receivers to try to spot the open man. You're running with your eyes and your mind. Your primary target is now 10 yards down the field. You look for the tight end, outside receivers, and even your running back. Who's open? Meanwhile, the defense has disguised a blitz and they're bearing down on you with four 300-pound tackles and a 210-pound safety sprinting in your direction. The defensive end, he's in your blind spot. He has beaten his blocker and he's bearing down on you from behind. You have two seconds from the snap of the ball to get crushed by the blitz. What do you do? Beat the ball for a sack, throw it away, run out of the pocket to buy time. Suddenly, the audience says, oh, thank God, you completed the pass to an open man for a first down. What is the mindset that helps one succeed in the most challenging of circumstances? And how does it apply to life off of the football field? Some will tell you to follow your dreams, shoot for the stars, think big. But not tonight's guest. He will tell you time and time again, aim small, miss small. And our guest this evening, his name is Scott Bruner. In case you don't know who he is, in the 1980s, if you watched the New York Giants, St. Louis Cardinals, or even the Denver Broncos, you would have seen him do what I just explained. Welcome to A Climb to the Top, Stories of Transformation on Talk Radio 77 WABC. I'm Chuck Garcia, and my guest is Scott Bruner. Scott, welcome to A Climb to the Top. Hey, Chuck. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. You're quite welcome. As I was describing this scene, is that what it felt like? Because I have no idea. Well, it's very interesting because people always ask me that. You know, how do you how do you read coverages? How do you make decisions in the middle of plays? And the easiest way I can describe it to somebody, especially people who have gone through school or an academic situation, is reading coverages is like taking a multiple choice test. Now you go up. And you, you read the question and you see all the answers and you know that one of the answers is right. Hmm. Do you have to know which answer is right in order to be successful? No. If you identify the wrong answers, you can raise your probability of having a successful outcome by eliminating the wrong answers. And that's really what happens when you're reading coverages in the NFL. You're stepping under center. You're looking out at a defense. You see a couple of you know, subtle keys that you've studied during the week. And you know on that play that three of the receivers that are running down the field are not going to be in in the discussion. And <laughs> a, B, and C, not an option. <laughs> to, uh, to, to C and D are the answers, and A, B, and E are not the answers. And, uh, and it makes it a little easier, and that's how quarterbacks ultimately make their decisions uh, in such a high-pressure short amount of time and interestingly enough for you football is in your dna 
Is that something that you grew up with? Describe the relationship with your dad and how you came to this game before we change course. Well, it's, you know, it's interesting. It's like any kid growing up in a household. If you're the son of a doctor, you're probably going to have some you know, aptitude for medicine. If you're the, you know, the son of, uh, of anything, of a radio show host or a public speaker, you're going to have some, some skill sets that you, you know, that you acquire just from being in the, that environment. And that's what happened to me in football. My dad was a coach, coached in the high school, college, and ultimately coached in the pro level. Uh, and as a result of that, I got exposed to a lot of different philosophies, different people you know, that I met through him and uh, kind of absorbed all that information over the course of my, uh, my lifetime. And while you were at the University of Delaware playing in what I remember was Division II, were you setting your sight on joining the pro ranks? Well, not really, not at that time. I was, uh, I was a backup uh, most of my career in college. I didn't start until my senior year. Uh, and uh, there was another fellow who was there and he happened to be drafted into the NFL as well. So, you know, we were, we were NFL talented at the quarterback position at Delaware at the time. In fact, I think Delaware put more quarterbacks in the NFL than Penn State or you know, some of the big schools at that time, just with the, uh, the other fellow. So, uh, you know, I wasn't thinking about the NFL. I was just thinking about playing Saturday uh, at Delaware and doing my best and uh, you know, let the chips fall where they may. And yet before you knew it, you were leading the Giants into the playoffs. How did that feel a couple of years after college? Well, it was pretty exciting. And I think, I think some of the experiences I had at Delaware uh, you know, helped prepare me for that. We were a, a program that was, even though we were a small college program, we were a program that had a lot of success. So we had, a, I had a great attitude. I understood the formula of success and what it took to be successful. And I found that I could transfer that, that uh, those traits and those skill sets from Delaware to the NFL level. And uh, you know, that allowed me to be prepared when I got the opportunity uh, with the Giants uh, to ultimately you know, get to the highest highest level uh, into the NFL playoffs. And can you explain, as I, as I narrated the scene, and I wanted to finish with what I've read about you, and it really stayed in my mind, aim small, miss small. Can you explain from the mindset of a quarterback looking for a target, what is the metaphor here? Well, what we start with, and, and obviously if everybody who uh, is a movie watcher knows where that, that line came from. It's not not original to me it's from the movie the patriot uh, but anyway um you know people ask how do you how do you determine when a receiver is open well when you're in high school you know if the receiver is 10 10 yards away from the defender he's open in college if he's three yards away from the defender he's open in the pros if he's two feet away from the defender he's open so the focus gets narrower and narrower and narrower as you move up the ranks uh, and, and move up to the highest skill levels of, of the game. So we've just decided that, you know, if you're going to play at that level and you're going to have such small windows to throw into and small targets to throw into, then you've got to be capable of, of aiming at the smallest possible target you have. And if you aim at that small target, you can be off a foot and still be acceptable. You know, but if you're aiming at a target that's three feet wide and you're off three feet, you know, it's going to be an, an interception in the NFL level. And is that mindset, while well, I appreciated the Patriot, I think it was Mel Gibson who was talking about the guns and they were firing at their enemies. 
but in the, in the NFL or you're throwing something, you're aiming for precision. Do you carry that mindset with you in your post-football life? Yeah, certainly tried to. Tried to uh, every day, try to you know, focus in on what's important, where we need to be in, uh, in what we're doing, especially now in our, in our financial uh, businesses, and uh, just make sure that our, our clients are prepared just like we were prepared going into football games uh, at the NFL level. Indeed. In fact, I'd like to talk about that transition. I know you played in the NFL for six years. Is that correct? What happened either from the time you were thinking about changing careers, did it happen abruptly or was there a transition into what we're about to describe what you do now? Well, it's usually very abrupt. It's uh, playing professional sports is, I liken it to the fastest gun business. You're always going to run into a, uh, you know, a sharpshooter who has a faster draw than you you do. Eventually, you know, most people. You know, there's there's the exception, guys who have long long careers. But eventually, you know, you're going to run into uh, somebody who uh, who's just better than you, and or you age out. And uh, at the time I played, we weren't retiring on the uh, in the finances that we made playing professional football back then. So, you know, in the back of my mind, I always had a another career path planned out you know football was just the first step in you know, what was my journey on uh, in my professional life and then how did you win or when you came to the end of your football career what did you decide to transition to given you spent so many years focused on a career on the field what happened off the field well actually I started transitioning before my, my career ended uh, in the off season. Uh, I got involved in uh, real estate and the building business, and uh, so I was uh, uh, involved as an investor and as a hands-on participant in uh, the real estate business in central New Jersey, down in the Princeton area. So I kind of had a place to go when I retired from the NFL, and I was already doing something uh, that got me, uh, got me started on my career track uh, post-NFL career. And did you have to retrain, i.e. your education, professional development? What happened in the space between football and now the investment business? Well, now the investment business, what, what I found in, in, the, in the building business was building was very akin to football because you put a plan together. You, you have blueprints, you have an architect that you work with, and then you go out and you try to execute you know, and build that plan. And, and, uh, but what I really found out and what I found interesting is building is really a cash flow business and it's cash management. And it's more that than it is the actual nuts and bolts and, and nails and hammers and things like that. And, uh, you know, I found that fascinating and that's what allowed me to you know, start seeking out a career in the financial world where I could utilize some of that curiosity that I had for, uh, for finance. I was an accounting major in college, so I was kind of was prepared for, preparing for that when I was in college, but uh, obviously didn't use it until uh, post my NFL career. How do you equate the skills that you learned on that field to the interpersonal skills necessary to get people to trust you with their investments? Yeah, well, part of it was that uh, as a quarterback, there's 10 other people on the field that you're working with. And, and uh, as much as you are in a high profile position, you understand that your success is uh, predicated on how well those people around you do. So I made sure, and I try to make sure that uh, 
not only do I rely on my own skill sets and my own talent, but I try to get people around me who are just as talented and have have a strong skill sets, which allow me to, you know, be that much more impressive and, and that much more supportive of our clients. Now, actually, before I want to want to cover one other matter, and, and it's a big topic that relates to both football and to the managing of other people's money, and it's this big word called expectations. And I'd imagine when you come into professional football, you have yours and you have other people that heap those great expectations on you. How did you deal with the enormity of the expectation of the media and the pressure to perform throughout the course of your professional career? It's funny. We had in college, we had a, a saying or our coach kind of coined a saying uh, that uh, you need to be oblivious to the obvious. <laughs> I like that. That's a good one. And, <laughs> I've not heard that. And it's you know, and, and it was it was very obviously it made an impact on me right. because I carry it to this day. And you know, it just means that just because you're up by four touchdowns doesn't mean you do anything differently. And if you're down by four touchdowns, you don't do anything differently. You know, you just go out there and you keep you know, doing what you're trained to do. And ultimately, if you have a long view. Things will come in your direction, you know, reversion to the mean, I guess you would call it. Yeah, and I think we can apply that to sports, but certainly in finance as well. You know, my background is in finance. I've worked at very large financial institutions, and it was all about consistent accomplishment. You didn't have to be brilliant all the time, just that steady stream up that mountain. So for you, Scott, I'd like to change the transition a bit, but let me take a station identification before we do. You're listening to a climb to the top stories of transformation on talk radio 77 WABC. I'm Chuck Garcia and my host this evening is Scott Bruner. Scott, in your transition then, whether it's real estate or what ultimately came, what happened in your evolution from the real estate business to something else that involved other kinds of investments and what role did you play in that transition? Well, it, it was actually, like most things, it was an opportunity. Uh, you, you know, it was, it was given to me. Uh, I was building houses, building big expensive houses in the Princeton area and was building for people who were working on Wall Street. And uh, a number of them had offered me positions, uh, you know, when they got to know me through the building process. And finally, I accepted the offer of one of them and, and moved, uh, you know, from uh, the Princeton uh, digging in the dirt to uh, taking the subway to work in Wall Street and uh, and reading uh, financial statements and income statements. Describe how you felt in that transformation from player to now the spotlight is on you in a different way. Well, I think it, a lot of it had to do with preparation and uh, and game planning is what it kind of came down to. And I tried to get to know my clients. Uh, as best I could so that I could understand what they liked, what they wanted, kind of what their mindset was, so that I wasn't just offering them information and ideas that they really had no interest in in reviewing. I would cut through the chase. You know, my, my responsibility and my uh, value added to them was to uh, cut through the things that they didn't want and get directly to the things that they were looking for and that they were interested in. And they all had some sort of matrix or, or um, model that they built their investment decisions around. And I just tried to tap into that and make sure that I paid attention to it. 
And tell us about now. What do you do? Do you do it for yourself? Do you do it for others? I'd love to hear where you are on the field today. Yeah, I mean, now we're very similar, uh, except, uh, you know, what I was doing for large institutions when I was working at Wall Street, I'm doing for individuals now and for executives uh, and professionals. Um, and what, uh, you know, really, we have a very simple model. It's, uh, we look to protect people's assets, we look to grow their assets, and then we look to help them take distribution of those assets in a, you know, in a cost-effective way, i.e. tax-effective way. Well, what we know is we look at the financial markets and we wonder, does it correlate to all of the bad news? What concerns or what do clients come to you and say, what do you make of all of this? Yeah, I think the hardest thing we have is just to calm everybody down and to reassure our clients that, um, you know, when the market was down big in March, uh, you know, we had a lot of people who came to us and wanted to sell. They thought the world was coming to an end, that this was, there was no hope in sight. And uh, we just tried to reassure them that you know, this was a bad thing, but this too will pass. And, uh, and all our clients pretty much have long-term views with their investments. So they're not investing for what's gonna happen next month. They're investing for you know, 15, 20, 30 years down the road very long cycles, the long term, and you work to preserve and to make them feel good. I would say we have, Scott, many who listen in that are buddy money managers. They are many finance majors at both the undergraduate and the graduate level. And many of them are trying to project, hey, if I manage somebody's money, what do I do in to ensure that they would give them to me and they would trust me? I'd love your take as you think about you and your colleagues. What is it about your attributes that get people to say, yeah, I want to, I, I trust you with my money. What are the characteristics that, that would engender one to want to trust you? You know, I think it's just being honest with people and, you know, just being truthful and, uh, and painting a clear picture for them so that they understand that um, you're, you're going to be upfront and you're going to be, uh, as I said, and you're going to be honest with them, because in the end, that's that's really what they what trust is all about. It's about feeling comfortable that uh, that the person you're dealing with is uh, is going to do that in your best interest. I state that, Scott, because sometimes in, in class, even at the graduate level, I, I teach public speaking, and I give an assignment, and I ask them to follow a character or a movie and describe to us. What are the qualities and what do they pick? The Wolf of Wall Street, because it's been sensationalized. And they look at the role that Leonardo DiCaprio played and they said, oh my God, Wall Street is so glamorous. Yet from your point of view, you're trying to make it unglamorous. Is that fair? Is that a fair statement? Exactly. You know, that's most people who have success in this business are gonna be are not glamorous. It's a, <laughs> It's, it's, it's more like being an offensive lineman. It's fighting in the trenches every day. Yeah. It's close contact fighting, but uh, it's, uh, it, it's what you need to be successful. You need somebody blocking for you. Uh, so we try to be the blockers for our clients. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it because when you were the quarterback, you had people trying to tackle you. You had people trying to protect you. And yet the spotlight was on you because you were the guy with the ball not just proverbially, proverbially, but physically. And now when somebody gives you a million dollars of their money, you're the guy with the ball. 
I am now looking to you and you're going to have a statistic. It's called performance. And at the end of a quarter, that million dollars is now 1.1 million. That's your statistic. Is that what you bring to your clients, the objectivity and the performance that makes them feel that they are entrusted in a transparent process? Yeah, I mean, I think what really we bring is we, we, we want to listen to our clients. And uh, as I said earlier, you know, what made me successful when I was on Wall Street was I listened to the clients and I cut through the stuff that wasn't important. We want to listen to our clients and know what their goals are and know what their aspirations are and try to help position them so that they can realize those goals and aspirations from a financial standpoint, that they'll have that financial support you know, in the future. And whether it's planning for a wedding or whether it's buying a house or you know, whether it's just getting ready for retirement, replacing their income on a, on a monthly basis so they can take the trips they want to take and they can live the lifestyle they want to live. And, and that's what we try to put together and formulate uh, in a way that's you know, simple yet comprehensive. Indeed, and I want to bring in one other aspect of, of, the, of this meeting, Scott, and it's an interesting one because while you are in the world of investment management, you haven't left football quite the way some people do. You, you may have put being on the field behind you, but you didn't put football on because you still work with people in the service of their success on the field. I would imagine that is both a passion and also part of a profession. Describe how you kept football into your life and how you help other quarterbacks in the service of their success. Yeah, well, when I retired, I certainly had a passion for the game. I, and as, as you mentioned earlier, it was kind of the family business. I, so I had to make a decision if I was going to stay in the family business or if I was going to go and do something else. And uh, you know, I, uh, as, as, a, as a child of a football coach, I lived in 13 houses by the time I graduated from high school. So I didn't want to put my kids through that. So I figured if I changed jobs, I would change my subway train and they would stay in the same house for their lives. And that's ultimately what happened. You were a nomad, but they didn't have to be. Right. But, uh, and then I did some broadcasting, uh, some TV work, and uh, I just got tired of the traveling around and, and, and that type of thing. So I decided to just do something closer to home and do some training with some players. And I've had an opportunity to work with some NFL quarterbacks and, you know, kind of develop, develop a philosophy around training quarterbacks, you know, that carries forward a little bit into what we do also in our financial uh, planning and you know, I tried to identify the pillars of what makes a you know a great quarterback or what you need to do to be successful because you don't have to be an NFL quarterback to be successful. I've worked with high school kids who have no chance of being an NFL quarterback because their mom and dad are five five and you know five eight and they're not going to get to be you know NFL type caliber, but they can still be good in, in high school. And uh, you know we use those three pillars, uh, which we identify as athleticism, fundamentals, and IQ, football IQ specifically. Uh, Let's take each of those because in the time that we were meeting on the show, we always ask, what do we want our listeners to think? What do we want them to feel? What do we want them to do? Can you, let's just review that one more time because I think this is a great takeaway. And I think it's a metaphor that can apply to anyone, whether an engineer, football player, accountant, finance, or that. let's go back to those. What were those three pillars again? Number one. Number one's athleticism. And this is also the evolution kind of of a quarterback. So it's not only the qualities, but it's also, you think about the evolution. So if you look at a 10-year-old uh, game, 
which person is the quarterback? It's the most athletic guy, <laughs> you know. Right. Okay, so, so that, that is, in a sense, that is their talent, their raw talent. So if they're born to be an engineer, whatever it is, it's that in that thing, that DNA that makes them particularly good. So the, the athleticism, it's a good one. What's number two? So number two is just the fundamentals. So okay. if, if we back up a little bit, athleticism is a pretty big term. So you have to identify it. So I've looked at all the great players and I said, what do they have in common? What makes them so special? They make the game look easy. And uh, when people, when I ask people, what do they think of when they think athleticism, they think, oh, he can jump high, he can run fast. You know, these are all the qualities that they come out with. And I said, well, I can name just as many guys who can't jump high and run fast that are even more successful than the guys who do that. So we came down to balance and timing. So the great athletes have great balance and, a, and, and an uncanny sense of timing, you know, whether it be just, and their mechanics or the way that they approach the game. They make the right play at the right time. So if you look at that in a broad sense, uh, that's where it all starts. And then as you move up the ladder, all of a sudden your athleticism really can't trump everything that happens on the field because other kids get more be get better. When you're young, it's a big pool and you're the best in the big pool. Well, as the pool narrows, there's more athletic kids in the the pool and you can't excel necessarily so you have to understand the basic fundamentals of of your position and in our case it's as a quarterback it's ball handling and footwork yeah but i think that can apply to anyone so we have athleticism the dna right. sticking to the basics don't try to get too far ahead stick to the foundations it's good advice for anybody and, and it's a mindset because sometimes we get a little sloppy and lazy and all of a sudden we get into bad habits. So stick to the fundamentals. And third. And fundamentals are, are like, you know, ball handling. And the reason we call it ball handling is because you know the quickest way to lose your job as a quarterback? Yeah. You give the ball away. <laughs> That's a good point. And it's the same thing in the same thing in finance. It's the same thing in business. You know, it's the guys who make the big mistakes, you know, the the career ending mistakes, if you will that are the ones who are in trouble. So how do you avoid that, you know, and, and, and go about your business? And then the fundamentals. Uh, so the fundamentals start with those things. And then the last one is um, the IQ, football IQ, right. which comes down to basically vision and decision. How do, what do I see? What is it process? You know, what's that multiple choice, you know, test that I'm taking every, every time the ball is snapped? How do I process it? And then how do I make the correct decision to find the right answer in a timely fashion. You know, you're describing the way we climb mountains, Scott. It's very similar in that, you know, because we, we have to look at our, our technical ability. We have to look at sticking to the basics. You can't get too fancy. You fancy on mountaineering, you're dead. And you can't give anything away. You have to take that a little bit at a time. Well, Scott, that is excellent advice. Um, where do where does one find you? What's the name of your company? How, if they wanted to get in touch with you, how, how would that happen? Well, you can go on Net Worth Management uh, Group. It's networthgroup.com. Uh, you can go on our website, and all the information you need is right there. And uh, you know, we can help you. And if you have a budding young quarterback, uh, you can still call <laughs> me through networthgroup.com. Indeed, we, there, there's two different reasons why you could rely on Scott to wake up every day in the service of your success. Whether it's you're going to be a quarterback or you want to preserve and grow your assets, you can always get in touch. Well, thank you, Scott, so much for coming on to the show. To our listeners, you have listened to a Climb to the Top Stories of Transformation on Talk Radio 77 WABC. 
I'm Chuck Garcia. You can always reach me on chuckgarcia.com. And our guest this evening was just a wonderful story from Scott Bruno, former NFL uh, quarterback turned investment manager. Scott, thank you very much for your time and for lending your expertise to our listeners. Thanks, Chuck, and uh, hope everybody has a happy holiday season. And to you too. Happy Thanksgiving. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.